uh, 470.2, and this is a long chapter. It's about ministers. And so we're going to probably just do the next, the middle section of the chapter today and take up the uh, last uh, one third of the chapter in uh, two weeks. Um, so we're going to start off with prayer and then I'm going to share my live feed on my Facebook and then we'll get started. Um, let's see, Patsy, would you mind giving us opening prayer? No, I don't. Everybody bow your head. Dear Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for another beautiful Sabbath day. Lord, we thank you for giving us the breath of life and to opening up our hearts and our minds and our souls that we may hear your word and live your word. Lord, we come asking the forgiveness of our sins, our inequities, and our transgressions. Lord, we ask that you will continue to pour out your mercy and your grace on each and every one of us as you fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Let us hear your word and, and learn your lesson today that we may go out and be good witnesses for you and lift your name on high on this earth that others may be drawn to you. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Karen, All right. Thank you. What? what chapter you're on? Yes. Okay. We're on uh, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 84. And uh, we'll be studying the middle section of that chapter this week. Uh, we will be um, studying starting at paragraph 470.2. All right. Let me pull my lesson up and we will get started. All right. So this is about we've been uh, we, we started this chapter two weeks ago. And this is about ministers, but it's also about how we should be as lay members of the church and how we should approach and, and treat our ministers. Um, and so um, there's some very interesting things in this chapter that my husband and I were talking about this past week. Uh, and um, I don't remember if we will get to them this week or next week in the chapter, but um, there's some things that we need to deal with as far as our ministers and as far as our walk with the Lord. Uh, this paragraph 470.2 starts out with how wrong habits of life have lessened our mental and physical sensibilities. And so all the strength that we can acquire by right living and placing ourselves in the best relation to health and life should be devoted unreservedly to the work which God has assigned us. Now, I think this is, um, this may be dealing specifically with the ministers, this particular paragraph. Um, and uh, it says we cannot afford to use the few enfeebled, crippled energies which we possess to serve tables or to mingle merchandise with the work. So she is talking about ministers here, and she's basically letting us know that the ministers should not have side jobs or day jobs or whatever on the side because it takes them away from uh, the crucial work that, that they need to do. And she says every faculty of mind and body is now needed. The work of God requires this and no separate business can be engaged in aside from this, this great work without taking time and strength of mind and body and lessening the vigor of and force of our labor in the cause of God. And she says that ministers who do this will not have all the time for meditation and prayer and all the strength and clearness of mind that they should have to understand the cases of those who need help to be prepared to be instant in season and out of season 
And so um, she's, yeah, she's just basically saying that they shouldn't have any outside jobs. Do you all know any ministers that had any outside jobs or work that they did during the week? I, I do. I know a minister that did. Okay. And what do you think about that? Was he able to fulfill his duties? Completely well, you know, I minister. I I think because it was my brother who was a pastor, he worked. And and I said, but I think he worked at the electric company, but they knew he was a minister. So if one of his uh, congregation members called and like they were sick or something, they would always tell, you know, he, I guess, I don't know how the arrangements was, but they always let him off to go, you know, and minister to them. And I, mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, because we were raised, you know, my mom would always say that if you don't work, you don't eat. And I said, and I think even though my brother was a minister, he kept that until he retired. So, you know, I'm, I, I read this earlier this week and I, I'm a little ahead, but I read it again. And I said, I don't know, you know, what, what he thought about when he was, you know, working and being a minister at the same time. But I said, I would hope that, you know, God would have given him the ability to, to still, you know, take care of his, his congregation. So I just know he did, you know, he did work and was a minister at the same time. I just know that. Okay. Okay. Uh, any other comments about that? Well, Paul worked in the Bible. Okay. He made, he made some tents, but it wasn't a full-time employment, I don't think. I think at times if the church needed something or whatever, he might have. Did, did, uh, well, think about it. At that time, um, there was no, uh, um, how do you all call it? What do you all call it? Um, Stewardship department. Right. Yeah. And 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 uh, what do you all call it? The what giving? What do you all call it? Systematic. Systematic giving. Yeah. There was no systematic giving. So at that time, you know, you're dealing with the early church and they and, and they felt like, you know, we, we're not going to take charity. We're, we're going to support ourselves. And in fact, Paul says that he said, I never took anything from anybody. You know, I worked with my own hands to take care of myself. But now we, we realize that, you know, we need to faithfully support our ministers and we, we need to have systematic benevolence, though. Huh? We still don't have systematic benevolence. Though. Well, that's true. That's true. We don't. We don't. We have a few, we have a handful that do that systematically, but the majority of the church does not do that. Um, and, 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 you know, I believe there are consequences as a result of that. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, a lot of avenues and fields that the church cannot go into because we don't have the funds. I think that there is a spiritual consequence also to the fact that we don't have a hundred percent systematic giving of the church. Uh, there are definitely spiritual consequences to that. We're not growing the way that we should um, and just a lot of things. Yes, a whole lot because the Bible says you're cursed with a curse. So we are in a congregation with individuals who are cursed with a curse. Then whatever befalls them is going to fall back on the church. The church is going to be called to help pay electric bills, gas bills, and some of the stuff like that. You know, maybe people will be more sick as a result of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Who knows what the what the curse and to me the curse with the curse is kind of two things. One thing and a lack of trust in God, that's a curse. And then the second thing is a lack of faith in God. And that's a curse too. And either one of those things mean this. You're not gonna follow the health message 
So you probably are going to get sick. You know, if you don't believe in God and you're not going to follow and do what he says, just, you know, you're going to be sick. You're going to have hospital bills. And it's just a downward spiral altogether. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and Go ahead. But also, Sister Karen, because I came from a small town, there was ministers that the congregation was buying them cars and clothes. So they feel like those ministers should have done whatever they wanted to do. I mean, and, you know, and like I said, so I came from a small town. Many of those ministers, you know, were, were driving way better cars than my brother ever could afford. But that's because the congregation was, you know, buying them clothes and, and you know, taking very good care of them. But there was a downside to that because when they didn't get what they want in the church, they decided we're not going back to their church and they would go to another church and, mm. you know, and try to run over people over there. Just freeloading, huh? <laughs> Run over them, huh? Yeah, I've heard I've heard people in the church say, Well, they the church won't give me what I need. I, they know I'm down and out. They know I've heard a lot of grumbling mm -hmm. and complaining from different people who don't return tithes and offering. Mm. <laughs> well, there's one difference uh just mentioned, Patsy mentions when you have smaller churches, then maybe the minister does have to do something to make ends meet. Back when Paul was working, the Apostle Paul, there were no conferences yet, and there were no general conference, mid-America unions, or none of that. Now we have those things, and we can pool all the money from everybody so that the conference can afford to pay these ministers a full salary. And this is applying to Adventist members, ministers, whereas if you look at Baptists or COGIC ministers, other denominations, their folks work full-time jobs and then they're just pastor on the weekend for the most mm -hmm. part. But our church, yeah, we have conferences and if everyone participate in systematic benevolence, there will be no need for a pastor to work anything other than what God has called him to do. And it does take your time and effort. If you're, if you're really doing your job as a pastor and not just a preacher, that's a full-time job if you're really doing it right. So you wouldn't have time for a secondary job. But, you know, the way it is, maybe the pastor's not putting as much into it as they should, so they have time for a job, and they're not realizing that the church is taking care of them, so they need to focus more on being a true minister. Mm -hmm. uh, she says in this paragraph, she says, some ministers linger about their homes, then they run out on the Sabbath, I guess, to minister. And then they return and exhaust their energies in farming or tending to home matters. And they labor for themselves through the week. And then they spend the remnant of their exhausted energies in laboring for God. Now, as stewardship leaders, do you think God wants the, the last of our energies? You know what? When I look at Jesus' life, um, and, and there's a, um, a sentence Sister White writes, and she says, God is looking for men and women who will spend and be spent who will spend your energy until it's completely gone. If we could all just get to that commitment to God, and I think that's where you know, um, stewardship is really about giving your life to God, your time, talent, temple, and treasure. Devote everything in your life to the Lord. And that's not, and so yeah, I think that, I don't think it's good for ministers to have, a full, have another job or any other interest outside of God. I really don't. And I do believe you know, I hear it and I get it and I understand it on some levels, but I know that there are just seasons, 
even with me as a little measly therapist, you know, nowhere near a, a pastor, where you just have to go beyond what you want to do. In other words, you may have to schedule a session outside of the time you want to work. You may have to send out messages to those who are a little bit weaker, who are more anxious or whatever. You may have to do extra because, the, because they need it. And if you are, if your attention is divided and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that, then I can't be aware of, you know, when Sister Karen is falling short or Brother Carol needs a little, a phone call. The Holy Spirit is trying to reach me because so-and-so-and-so just had a, a crisis accident. If I call right at that time, that can make a big difference in that, that person's life. Instead, I'm so busy thinking about other things that I finally get to it at nine o'clock when four other pastors have already called. Which is along with what I was saying about being a true minister means you know your congregation and you keep up on what's going on with people's families and, and what they need spiritually and what God is calling you to do. And when you really do it, like Lakita saying, when you spend and be spent for the Lord, you don't have time or energy for nothing else. You know, mm -hmm. if you're doing your job right as a pastor and a minister, you don't have time for all that other stuff. Not, so that, you, that, not that you can't take a break or, you know, a vacation or go out to the park or something with your family. But in terms of having a full time second job, you won't have time for that. I remember um, one time I was reading about Jesus. He was trying to go and get some rest. And so he had gotten a boat and he had crossed the lake to get away from people. But when he got to the other side, the people were there, right? So he just got, he stood up in the boat and he ministered to the people. Mm -hmm. That's true. So let me ask a question. What do you think the special challenges are for ministers during, during COVID? Is that a dog? You guys have a dog? That's the cat and he's crawling in the window. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what do you say? What's the cat what? got big feet, huh? <laughs> What's the special? What are the what do you think are the special challenges for pastors and ministers now during COVID or this past year that we've experienced COVID, and some of the things that would be their their calling to do and take care of if there was no COVID? You know, I'm gonna be honest with you for real. You know, I haven't really seen any pastors, you know, actually doing what I'm thinking pastors do, but my expectations may be wrong. But when I was growing up and not in the church, it was always an Adventist person, minister, elder, somebody coming to our house, you know. They would come and pick us up and take us skating with the church kids. And um, they would come over to my mother's house, you know, and visit or, you know, just, you know, it was to a place where my mom would be like, oh man, here comes these, you know, um, these, these pastors or these pastors, they were just for whatever reason, they were all the way around, always around. I don't see that today. I don't see that type of commitment to, you know, getting, it was just, you know, we were just little kids and they were so interested in us, you know, and never did, never ever did anything unseemly or unkind or anything. So. I think that I don't see that. I just don't see it. You know, I don't see that, that you know, Sister White says work disinterestedly. You know, I don't see that either where, you know, you, 
put your stuff out there and didn't just let it be, or like a person come to you and, and you do counseling for that person. And then it's, you know, like in the pulpit the next week or whatever, that's kind of something is, I don't know, it's a gap here and it shouldn't be. I don't think it should be a gap between ministers and the people. I don't believe it should be. Well, personally, I feel like Northside, if you don't have Zoom, they don't care if you get the information or not. But I said it'll take maybe a sister or somebody to say, hey, I know this person would love to know this information, but let let it be close to the time for returning tithes and offering, and you will get a call from a deacon and say, this deacon such and such from Northside, I was just checking to see if you're okay. And you haven't heard from them people in so long, and you're like, oh, it must be close to time to return tithe and offering. I mean, that's that's... That's how I feel. That's when they when they leave me a message. Only when it's close to returning tithes and offering for that month. Mm. Yeah, and I think that we do have to show a genuine care for people. You know, it. Take, I think uh, Paul says, yeah, um, Mr. Statement. He says the inconvenience of witnessing is that what he says? The inconvenience of Christianity, and we do. You know, for I'm just speaking you know, for me at this point being really more willing to just come outside of my own stuff and and help because you know people need help and you know it's not a good feeling Patsy having that you know people don't care about her unless she's paying money that's not a good feeling mm. and that's well, true we want to like, go one ahead of the things I've always noticed about churches is we don't really communicate with each other as well as we should or could it's not like you got to walk over to somebody's house anymore you just call them and churches just have not taken the time and put in the work to really communicate with the members on more than just you know when it's time for the members to give something that's always been an issue and communicating between churches has been an issue too but I think right now the pastors they have an easier job if you ask me they don't have to physically go to your house they don't have to physically see you they can get right on in Zoom, hold all different type of Bible studies, prayer meetings, whatever, uh, chat meetings. They can call people up on the phone. They can call people on Zoom. They can email. You can Instagram people. You can stay in touch with your entire congregation from your house. But Elder Carol, the, the problem is the people, and I know I'm not the only one, that don't have the Zoom and stuff. We never know what our own church is doing, and their thing of it is, Y'all need to get Zoom or you need to get this and that. And I'm like, I just I, right now I'm in a place where God's got me to make sure that I don't have to have no excessive amount of bills or anything else. But I'm like, even so, it should be. We got some elderly people that don't have all that stuff and they don't find out anything either until, you know, somebody and like I said, my go-to uh, person is Paula. Paula called me or she'll, she'll text me and say, this is what's happening, Patsy, you know, keep informed. And I'm like, but it shouldn't be like that. It should be like everybody. I don't care if they got to do an all call where they leave, you know, they call and say, this is a recording from such and such church, you know, this is what's going on. We don't even get that. Just about everybody has at least a phone. I understand not everybody has all those things I mentioned, but people have something. Now, I know at Northside, we did have a call list, and all the secretary had to do was make a message and send it, and everybody got it. So I don't know why they're not still doing that. 
Yeah, they said they don't do that. Uh, one of the sisters told me that one of the deaconess said they stopped that, you know, uh, doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> Stop doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Stop communicating <laughs> with the members. Um, I have a question about, because um, you were saying that we have all those different means of communicating. What about our pastor, for instance, who transitioned during the pandemic? He doesn't know the members. All he got to do is ask you for the email list. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> okay. Um, and then she says at the bottom of 471.1, she said the destiny of souls hangs upon the course that the ministers pursue and the decisions that they make. How important then that they should be temperate in all things, not only in their eating, but in their labor, that their strength may be unabated and devoted to their sacred calling. That goes back to uh, this paragraph was talking about ministers having other jobs and doing other things. And I understand, Patsy, what you're saying, that that may be necessary in some situations or it may be necessary in a smaller church and a smaller location. Um, but at the same time, I think that that the members should ease as much as possible the burdens of the pastor. Um, our church, as we said, has a system whereby even though there's not 100% uh, systematic benevolent giving, that our pastors are paid irrespective of whether or not someone didn't give their offering that week or that month. And so that's, that's a good thing there. Um, and then she talks about, um, in the next paragraph about Karen, before you go there, the oh, okay. part you just read about being temperate in all things, eating labor, et cetera, that mm -hmm. applies to each of us too, as members that we should take care of ourselves and stay balanced so that we can be used by the Lord in different ways. You know, when we finally get back to meeting together and getting out into the community, we want to be able to be healthy enough to get out and do the Lord's work physically as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that's certainly definitely true. And I think that during this pandemic, a lot of us may may have I don't I won't say everybody, but may have slacked off in some of the things that we were doing to be more fit and to eat better. And um, so uh, that's something that we certainly need to be aware of and and um, come back to if you know, when this thing lets up some. Um, and then in the next paragraph, she's talking about uh, pastors selling merchandise at the meetings or selling merchandise after the meetings or in the course of meetings. And she really is saying that they really shouldn't do that because uh, that traffic diverts their minds away from the object of the meetings. And in that, you know, they shouldn't be spending their time peddling wares or books or tapes or DVDs or any of that stuff um, after the meetings. Um, I know that a lot of times, a lot of that is done, uh, but she's saying just the minister shouldn't be doing it. It's not, she's not saying that it shouldn't be done because obviously that's a good place and time to, to sell our, our literature after the Sabbath or whatever, or after a meeting, if it's during the week, uh, but that the ministers should not be engaged in doing that. And um, if they have a book or whatever, they shouldn't be. Huh? That's whether they be ministers or people. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Yeah, right. And um, I think, I think though, that she's not 
because when you read further down, she's not saying that the books and things should not be sold. She's just saying that, I guess there's a time and place for that. And it should never be the ministers if possible. Um, any other comments about that? She says- you know, I think she's, we had talked about this before because we're saying whenever people have, you know, a series or some sort of convention or something, or a meeting at your church that, you know, selling stuff after the Sabbath is fine, but that some people were setting up the booths during Sabbath and, you know, ringing, uh, putting together all their equipment during the service, you mm. know, and all that has mm. no place. You should be prepared for all that way before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, and, and it's reminding me too, that people, you know, we would have the sale start at sunset, but sometimes I've been there where the, the uh, person in charge would say, well, our guest speaker, he got to catch a plane. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start selling the books a little bit early. And, mm. you know, yeah. and it's like, mm -hmm. well, he just going to have to leave and we mail him the money later, uh -huh. you know, or something. Uh -huh. like that. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, and then the next paragraph, she talks about the moral and intellectual faculties clouded by wrong habits of living, the ministers and the people, if, they, if they, their moral and intellectual faculties had not been clouded by wrong habits and, and of living, the ministers and the people would have been quick to discern the evil results of mi mixing sacred and common things. And she said, ministers have stood in the desk and preached a most solemn discourse. And then by introducing merchandise and acting a part of a salesman, even in the house of God, they have diverted the minds of their hearers from the impressions received and destroyed the fruit of their labor. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty telling right there. You know, that, that, that when you start selling wares, now the people view you in a different way, you know. Um, and I know, especially some of them that have their own books and, you know, DVDs and things to sell, uh, it really causes the people to view things in a different way. And maybe they should have someone else there, like a family member or, or someone from their, their church or something selling those things instead of them selling them directly. And as you said, Lee, mail the money to them, you know, so that they're not uh, associated with that. Now, sometimes people want their autographs on the books that they've written and stuff like that. Um, so um, I think that sometimes, you know, um, it may, may, I don't know, what do, you, what do you all think? Is it appropriate at that point to have them selling or sitting at their own table selling? You know, I just, I think what she's saying is this, you know, the people are paying returning tithe and offering so that ministers can have money to spend and live. And that, you know, that what you're doing should not be done. You know, that, you know, selling books just shouldn't be done. And I do think it takes away from, uh, it's almost like the message wasn't important. You know, I remember uh, those type of things happening where I was in the sanctuary one minute and they're like talking and, you know, you're, um, you're feeling the impression of the spirit of God, your heart is convicted and you step outside the door and then there they are surfeiting and rioting and, you know, <laughs> standing in line. Everybody got this feverish pitch like this, the last book I'm going to be able to buy and stuff. And it's just, it's gone. You know, that time, that decision-making time to solidify your uh, relationship with God is passing and stuff. Mm. So, you know, it does mm. 
to some extent what's been done. Because you can very easily set a separate time for selling merchandise. It don't have to be right during Sabbath service or immediately after. You could do it on Sunday morning or something. But this here part had me laughing about the acting the part of the salesman. I think a lot of us uh, who have been in the church for quite a while, remember Elder Carter used to do the offering. <laughs> do you remember him, Karen? Andre Mike. Eugene Carter. Andre Mike. I don't. Yeah, yeah really. he, he would pick up the offering and he would literally have like an auction. You know, who, who would give a thousand dollars? You know, oh. he, well, you know, down. Butch Rice used to do that too. Yeah, and then he'd go down he all the way down to five dollars and then finally call it quiz. But it was like 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and by that time we done forgot all about the sermon and ready mm-hmm. to go home, you know. And I think she's pointing this out in this that you just lose all the solemnity and the sacredness of even being in the Lord's house when you do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've always advocated is when the sermon is over, you end it and everybody goes while you're still thinking about it. And But some churches, they somehow got into after the sermon, then they want to tell announcements and then they want to pick up offering. Then they want to do children's story, you know, and it's to me, just my opinion, that's not the right time for that stuff. Well, I think in, in a way, I think in picking up the offering after the sermon is kind of good. Because the offering, picking up the offering is a sacred um, type of thing. And then after you've heard about the love of God, then your heart is more open and willing and submissive to respond to his call for help, you know, to help win other souls, help bring people, you know, help people have food and clothes. I think it's okay to do that. But I don't think it's okay after the sermon, whoever is supposed to get up and do the benediction, instead of leaving it alone, they have to do another sermon, talking about the sermon. That's very annoying to me too. It's almost as if you have to interpret for us what was said when the Holy Spirit has been doing that all along while the sermon was going on. Hmm. Okay. Announcements Announcements don't need to be done. I just think... Once you enter that sacred room with Christ, mm-hmm. only sacred stuff should be in there. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about the potluck. We don't need to talk about the dinner downstairs. In fact, even say that that prayer about the dinner, you know, before you even have the sermon, you know, as much as possible, get people up and out of the sanctuary. <laughs> you know, move yep. on, preserve the sanctity of that moment. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, and she says further down that um, our ministers, their time and strength should not be drawn upon to sell books and that um, when they can be properly brought before the public by those who do not have the burden of preaching the word. So uh, I think that that the consensus basically is that they should not be the ones selling the books and selling the merchandise. Um, she's talking about Paul Porter and- I'm thinking about uh, being a, what is it called, porting? What's the other word for it? Lay. Minister. No, no, no. When we used to, when I used to sell books, I used to be a, well, okay, we just going to use the word call porter because that's a, that's an old term for it. But, you know, literature land, evangelist. Literature evangelist. Yeah, literature evangelist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they shouldn't do that. I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. That's, that all by itself is a full time job, it's, it's a lot of work involved. 
Yeah, and in and, and the next paragraph, 472.2, she says, ministers have all they ought to do to preach the word. And then after they've heard solemn truth upon the people, they should maintain a humble dignity as the preachers of exalted truth and as the representatives of the truth presented to the people. And after their labored effort, they need rest. So um, basically the work that they should do has but just commenced, she says, when they have spoken the truth to the people. Then they, then come the exemplary I, preaching, the watchful care, the seeking to do good to others, the conversation and visiting at the fireside from house, house to house, entering into the condition of mind and the spiritual state of those who listen to the discourse from their lips, exhorting this one, reproving that one, rebuking another, and comforting the afflicted suffering and desponding. Their minds should be as free from weariness as possible that they may be minute men instant in season and out of season i have a comment mm-hmm. i have a i have a question i know she's talking about selling books but in my opinion we had a minister that was so busy on getting his book published that he didn't have time to take care of our concerns about what you know what individuals were going through at the church because he was so busy with trying to get his book written and published that we kind of just fell to the side Mm. that's exactly what she's talking about shouldn't happen Mm -hmm. but not only that too Pessy so if people did if the pastors was doing um, and I'm sure it is some doing pastors doing what um, what Karen just read was here then the minister the individuals would be like that too you know what I'm saying he would be modeling for us how to treat each other, how to treat our family members. And then we will be like bringing our family members to him because we know that he is connected with God and stuff like that. So I think that that is, it's a mistake. He made a big mistake. And then when you, um, the Bible says, you know, that you, he'll make all your stuff come to naught. you know, you do all this stuff, except what God wants you to do. And it's not going to measure up to anything. But, you know, I I understood the time, you know, I guess because, you know, when I got my when I was doing a duo to get my principal license, I understood that he didn't have a lot of time. But just the the majority of things that were going on at the church and people feelings getting hurt and people, you know, different things happening, people's loved ones, you know, getting ill. He didn't have a lot of time because it's so time consuming to write a book and then to get it published that. By the time he realized there's so many people that's, you know, dropping off by the tons and, you know, people are frustrated and people, other people are, you know, manipulating them and mistreating them. I said, I think he really wanted to say, you know, I'm trying, I should have been more attentive, but it was too late then because the damage had already been done. And then the next thing I know, it's like, he's gone. Yeah. On to the next group of people to do the same. <laughs> no, but you know Maybe what? Maybe you learned a lesson. Well, Pastor, you know what? Um, one of those things, this is probably going to not make a lot of sense. But sometimes that type of pastor is it's a good thing because it could, instead of people leaving God, it could help people to depend more on God. Because sometimes people get it confused and they'd be like, this is my church, this is my pastor. No, we're just serving God. You know, God is with our focus, you know, and stuff. But I do hear what you're saying because, you know, we all want somebody to care. You know, just 
And as you get older, your families pass on and you don't have any friends anymore because they passed on. You want somebody to just say, I care about you, you know, and not in no way, like, you know, I care about you because they told me I had to see five people a month, you know, so I got to call you and say it. But, you know, somebody who actually want to come. I mean, I remember those people, Miss Jackson, who brought me into the church. She was, you know, a really overweight, but she walked her little self up the street to my mother's house and my mom had the most kids. And she sit down and she mm-hmm. talked to my mom and visit with her and stuff. And not always about the Bible. They just were friends and stuff. And it's like, we don't have time to be friends anymore. Hmm. One of the things I think about is going to visit people at the hospital when they're sick or whatever. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. I used to kind of shun that. But then as I went, I would just sit and just talk. How's things going? How's the family? You know, just to sit down and visit with people. I think people like to know that you care about them and about what's going on with them, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the best part of the job is to sit and be with people. You know, that's the best part to be around other people. Because, you know, when I was in the hospital, I opened my eyes up and and somebody was rubbing my hand. And I looked up and it was Phyllis uh, Thomas in you know, and I was like, Phyllis, and she, and I said, I would have never had guessed, you know, because at that time she was at Pastor Rice Church. She said, I heard you was in the hospital. And she said, your daughter told me you, you, you like, you, you don't like this hospital food. And she said, I check with the nurse first. And she had bought me some vegetarian food. And I mean, I was like, thank you, Phyllis. She said, you don't think I keep up with you? And I just thought. Uh, you know, that is the sweetest thing that somebody could have did because I wouldn't, I mean, it was just like a surprise. I didn't even know she knew I was in a hospital or what, but she was there. And when she was rubbing my hand, I was like, I don't, re-, you know, you don't recognize that somebody is making my hands feel so much better and I'm getting relaxed. And then when she opened up that little container with some food, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. That's very nice, Patsy. And when we, yeah. those, when people do that for us, when they model that behavior, it's for us to do the same for somebody else in whatever mm-hmm. our way is. Amen. We, you know, like the way you go and give the tracks out, Patsy. You know, that's I, helpful. I, you know? I know I'm quiet. Excuse me. I know I'm quiet. Don't say a lot unless I really have something to say. But I go out and pass a lot of tracks too. And it's just like, I like seeing people smile on their face when I pray for them. They're so unexpected. It's like no one's ever done that before. Me, that I makes mean, me feel yes. good. I mean, I heard that too when somebody said nobody's done that for me before. I was like, wow. Alvina, I don't know who said you were quiet, but okay, we'll. <laughs> I said I was quiet, like, like I wasn't talking that much today. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, today. All right, I got All it. Right. <laughs> I, I was just confused that you were talking about somebody. Oh, okay, okay. But yes, Alvina, um, that's another thing too. I do hear about, I mean, someone even came and told us about Alvina. They ran into you on the um, on the sub bus or subway or something and you were witnessing to people. It's a good thing. You know, it's really, oh. people need, uh, that's like my information, okay? But anyway. <laughs> I witnessed to them? It was somebody you knew? No, you didn't witness to them. You they saw you witnessing to other people, but they oh. knew you and they knew I knew you, and so they were like, "Yeah, I saw her doing this and stuff." So, 
That you know, it is helpful when Pastor now that now I tell you, I don't like knocking on doors, but when Pastor Hunter have us go out to like the um stores and pray like on Sabbath, you know, pray with people we don't know. So I one day, one Sabbath we did that. I met someone named Larry. I have a brother named Larry. I met someone named um, let's see, uh Floyd. I met someone named Holly. My daughter's name is Holly. She was the last person, and the Holy Spirit was like, pray with her. And I was thinking, well, she's kind of Caucasian. She might not want it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, let me go ahead. The Lord told me to do it. So I pray. I said, what's your name? Because I want to call their name. And she said, my name is Holly. And I was like, oh, that's my daughter's name. And I would want somebody to stop my daughter and pray with her. I would want that for her. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to do for others what, what we want others to do for us. Yes, amen. When I worked downtown, Karen used to give me uh, tracks with $5 in them to go hand out to people when I went out to lunch. And what was so funny was I was always getting people begging me for money and on normal days. But this particular day, I had about five or six tracks with $5 in them. I couldn't find nobody. I couldn't <laughs> find nobody to give these tracks. <laughs> I walked and I walked and I walked. And I finally found a man sitting on the side of the uh, sidewalk. And he said, how you doing? I said, I've been looking for you. He looked at me. Why well, you been looking for me? I have something for you. And I had a little piece of $5 sitting out. And I told him, I said, this $5 might be useful to you. But reading this will be a whole lot more valuable than this, this $5. So I said, so mm-hmm. read it. don't just take the money out. Read this information. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine uh, sometimes you do something like that. And then if you find people and you give it to them, there'll be some people saying, I don't want it because they don't see no money or stuff. But you mm-hmm. know, when you're in the take it, and then they'll say, Oh, I got this from somebody that was giving out $5 bills in paper. <laughs> you know, I can see that happen too. So, how would the Lord uses uses people, you know, because it's a dying world out there. People really are dying, you know. Absolutely. And and each one of us has a different gift and a different calling as far as how we share that gift that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if the Minuteman stop warning people and get caught up and get sidetracked by, you know, like uh, I think it was Nehemiah, you know, he was up there building up that wall and his enemies was like, come down to him. He said, I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. And we have to recognize the work we have is great and we cannot get sidetracked because we have the work that God gave us, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the next couple of paragraphs, she talks about basically those ministers who don't feel the responsibility of the work. And it says they, they feel that after they leave the desk, which is the pulpit, I guess, their work is done. And then she said, you know, they consider it a burden to visit, talk, uh, and to really spend time with the people that are desirous of getting all that they can from the message, I'm going to put it like that, that was delivered to them. And they, they wish to continue to hear from the pastor or the minister so that they can understand clearly the message that was given. And she said that the ministers then excuse themselves because they're weary. And then they go and exhaust their time and their strength on the other work that someone else could do that that they don't need to be doing. And she said they should preserve their moral and physical vigor that as faithful workmen of God, they may give full proof of their ministry. 
And then she talks about further down in the next paragraph, how there will be some who will arise and claim that God has laid upon them the burden of teaching the truth to others. But she said they should be proven and tried and that they should not be relieved from all care, meaning I guess that uh, don't accept them full-time into the ministry until they've proven themselves. And then once they come full-time to the ministry, well, obviously then if they, if they were offered a position, then they would be paid and come away from any other job that they had to do. Uh, but she said they should, neither should they be lifted into responsible positions all at once, but they should be encouraged if they deserve encouragement to give full proof of their ministry. And it says, she says the bot, uh, further down in that paragraph, young preachers who have never had wearying labor, nor felt the draft upon their mental and physical strength should not be encouraged to hope for a support independent of their own physical labor. For this will only injure them and will be a bait to entice men to engage in the work who realize nothing of the burden of it or the responsibility resting upon God's chosen ministers and such will feel competent to teach others when they have scarcely learned the first principles themselves. So she's really talking here about young ministers. You know, it's so funny because there's some places that you go and you see a little storefront church on every corner. And you know that all those people haven't been trained. They just felt like they were called. And so they just open up a little storefront church and then they try to get members. And then, you know, they, they, they trying to get money in through the members and all of that. And I guess she's, she's kind of counseling against that because I, I probably in her time, a lot of the ministers didn't go through the seminary. They just opened up a church and said, Hey, I've been called mm-hmm. uh, and just start, you know, preaching or whatever. Now we know now that, 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 at least through our denomination, they got to have some kind of educational background and training in the ministry, um, even if they did, did not end up in at Andrews in the in the seminary. But um, they have to have some kind of training. But she's speaking, I I would assume, to those who just hang out there, hang out their tassel and say, "Hey, I've been called to the Lord. Uh, bring all the ties into the storehouse." <laughs> so. She's cautioning them against that and, and, and against just accepting that. Uh, any comments on that? Hmm. No, I think I think that that's a good idea too. I'm always afraid. My niece, she just got baptized a couple of weeks ago. Um, or last Sunday, last Saturday, actually. She got baptized and um, she was telling me about something. This is into a Sunday church about her throwing up and gasping for breath and, you know, at the church, right, you know, and they were uh, standing around her and she could hardly get her breath and she was throwing up and she was gagging and all this stuff. And I said to her, really? And she said, you did all that? I said, those people stood around you, no one called an ambulance? She said, no. I said, if I saw you couldn't get your breath, I would have called an ambulance for you. And she said, uh, TT, it's not, it's not that I was purging. I said, purging what? So I read, uh, she's uh, she saying something about the Holy Spirit. So I read where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, good, uh, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, and temperance. I said, now tell me which one of those things describe what you went through. Because mm. I'm not, if it was the Spirit of God in you, tell me she had the Holy Spirit. If that was the Spirit of God, it, it's not, that's not what the Bible is saying the Spirit of, of God does. Mm. And so she got kind of quiet with it. So Mercy. She, she did it again, you know, whatever it is coming up on me. So I was like, so it's a demon or what? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so 
<laughs> no, TT, but I try not to be too, you know, I, I just try to agree as far as possible, but that was just, you know, weird to me, you know? Mm. But you, yeah, and, you know, was, go ahead, Pat. I was going to say, you know, as I read this, I said, there are young ministers that, that come, that, you know, that come to full circus where they will, you know, go back and talk with uh, older men, older ministers and I said, and they do, I think the older ministers do kind of look out for them. But I do think it's good to have young ministers because, you know, we're in a different stage where, like I said, somebody might say something to, I'm going to use Daryl as an example, in his age group. I may have said it and said, you know, this is where you could read it in the Bible. But you take somebody that's young and that's a young minister, they have a different report on approaching that person. And that person is like, yeah, you know, that, that young pastor, he's pretty good. And I'm like, but that was the same thing I said and showed you. But like I said, they, they just have a different way of approaching our young people now. But still, I think the young ministers do. There are some that I know, you know, that do rely on the older ministers to kind of lead them. And I think that's a good thing. I do too. I think that's good too. Mm-hmm. What you were reading earlier, Karen, about how they shouldn't just be thrust into positions that goes not just for ministers, but for any church position. Because if you like baptize new people and then the next week you elevate them to a deacon or deaconess or church elder, you have no clue of what this person really believes at this point. And they might get up there and say something totally contra, contra, contra you know, contrary against the scriptures. Yeah. yeah, contrary against the scriptures, because you should have never put them in that position to be up front yet. Uh, mm-hmm. so the Bible says to try the spirits, you know, whether they be of God or not. That includes people, new members. Uh, sometimes people just want a position for prestige. That's not a reason for you to get a position. So we need to be careful of any position in the church that we don't just turn it over to the first person coming that way. You know, make sure that everyone. Is the person that God wants in that position capable? I, I think sometimes they put them in the position because the, of a family member. Well, they family member been here for so long. And I agree, Elder Carroll, sometimes, you know, you can't rely on what the family member, even though they've been there for a long time, until you get to know that individual. Yeah. I mean, and both of you are right about that, is that it doesn't just apply to ministers, it applies to the other positions in the church uh, also. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we've been guilty of that, electing people who um, really, we don't know what their position is and what their stance is and what, whether they will be able to uh, lead in a manner that, um, you know, they're leading in the right direction or whatever. And that's another thing, too. When you have a small church, in our church, we have a whole lot of different types of auxiliaries. You don't have to fulfill all these auxiliaries. You know what I'm saying? If it's going to be more damage to have a certain person do something, and by that, I don't mean that the person's bad, but they just don't fully understand why we don't eat pork yet, okay? So you can't put them over kitchen duty and over you know, uh, what do you call these things? Um, social uh, uh, social activities <laughs> and stuff like that, because 
you know, they don't fully understand the life that you that we're trying to promote and stuff. So this, I always try to say that to these churches, they be so small. One person have five different offices. It's just way too much. It's just way too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, the, 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 the flip side of that is that we take the few that we have and stretch them out over five or six offices and then they're, they're burnt out quick. Right. And don't do that. You know, let's just let them continue to work within their, um, within their gifts, within their gifts. Right. And then, and pray, pray for, for to, that God will send us workers and stuff and hold people accountable. You know, don't stick people up there. You know, that I think is really wrong. People are not, not, you know, following and being good stewards in, in their lives. And then, you know, they want to be like over the church. That's not right. Mm-hmm. But Elder, Sister Carol, I think sometimes too, there are people that have, you know, maybe worked in the, uh, in a capacity of ministry in the church. And when the, the person that's in charge is to the point, you, you know, you know, you love them to be in charge, but it's time for them to pass, you know, pass it on to that person. And they get to the point, they've been in that position for so long and they're not going to give it up, I guess, until death do them part. But you know, that, that, that person that really has been, tra- you know, has been watchful and trained and stuff, that person can do a good job, but they're never going to get a chance at it because they hold on to those positions. And so that makes the people that, you know, could do it, it makes them say, well, I'll just sit back and wait my time. Well, you gonna, they may be waiting years and years before that person is able to give it up and know that they're too, I don't want to say they're too old, but it's time to let somebody new take over. They're not going to acknowledge that because they like that, like he said, that status and that prestige that goes along with the title of that position. You understand what I'm saying? Am I making sense? Yes, but see, that's what the uh, nominating committee and stuff is for. You're supposed to, the the nominating committee is not in there to just re-put in the same people. But, you know, you have to look at some, someone had cancer during the year or they may have had a nervous breakdown or, you know, have had the burden of four or five people dying in a year. It may be time for them to get some rest, you know? And so you can't, they can nominate other people and stuff, but we also remember that by the grace of God, I hope, you know, I believe that the, it's the Lord, you know, who calls people into these positions and stuff. And so if the, if the church listens to God, then, and the person's still there, we just trust that that's what God wants. But, you know, I do hear you that, and I would want me personally, if you had someone that we had really studied, like, I think when we get back to church, we'll start looking around and find people who will want to be in stewardship and maybe even a younger person who wants to start leading out in stewardship and stuff. Not that we want to give up, but we need to be always training people to take the position, you know? And 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 even like what you're saying, work up under that person. That person is the leader and we work up under them to help them train and continue on and stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. that God's work can do be, you know, very successful and effective in this area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if there's any other comments on that, let's go to 474.1. And this one is talking about, and this is what uh, my husband and I were discussing uh, this week, uh, talking about um, ministers and 
uh, I'm going to just read a couple of things and then skip down to the bottom. He says, many who profess the truth are not sanctified by it and not are, are not endowed with wisdom. They are not led and taught of God. She says, God's people as a general thing are worldly minded and have departed from the simplicity of the gospel. This is the cause of the great lack of spiritual discernment in the course they have pursued towards ministers. If a minister preaches with freedom, some will praise him to his face. Instead of dwelling upon the truths he uttered and improving upon them, thus showing themselves to be not forgetful hearers, but doers of the work, they exalt him by referring to what he has done. They dwell upon the virtues of the poor instrument, but forget Christ who employed the instrument. And then she says that ever since the fall of Satan, who was once an exalted angel in glory, ministers have fallen through exaltation. Unwise Sabbath keepers have pleased the devil well by praising their ministers. Were they aware that they were aiding Satan in his work? They would have been alarmed had they realized what they were doing. They were blinded. They were not standing in the counsel of God. I lift my voice of warning against praising or flattering the ministers. I have seen the evil, the dreadful evil of this. Never, never speak a word in praise of ministers to their faces. Exalt God. Ever respect a faithful minister. Realize his burdens. Enlighten him if you can. Lighten them if you can, but do not flatter him. All right. The floor is open for discussion. <laughs> well. Don't praise our ministers. What do you think about that? Don't praise them for the message they gave. Don't, don't, don't give them praise for anything. So this is what I want to throw out there. Andre, are you on the line there? I am. I was just going to say just that. I would tell the pastor that he let the Lord use him. The Holy Spirit really used you today, pastor. I really enjoyed that sermon. But that's not praising him. That's praising what the Holy Spirit has done. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to use him that day. I don't know. I'm, I, guess, I don't know, you know. You know, this is one thing that like, okay, Karen, um, you know, we're doing the, the, the marriage thing, right? And I told Melody, I'm like, I just really hate these marriage things. You know, <laughs> I really don't like them. And one of the reasons I don't like them, and I don't even, uh, is because I feel like your marriage come under attack when you lead out in that. You know what I'm saying? Because you put yourself up like you are an example, so to speak, of this is what marriage is supposed to look like. And then I think you get really attacked when you do that, something like that. So I tend to steer clear of getting it, doing anything. <laughs> like that but yeah you know that's uh that's heavy that's deep that's that's so heavy that's really heavy and deep so this is what i want to ask you about so we have we have pastor appreciation days yeah, where we yeah. praise the pastor and give him gifts and money money and cards and oh pastor you've just done a great job and sometimes after the sermon we'll say boy you really did a good job today and uh, so, uh, what do you think about that now? But the pastor would say, "Give all praises to the Lord," though. Well, do y'all think? Should say it. If you, but still, it's done. The damage is done because whatever damage she's talking about is in his head now. You know, it went from our lips into his head, and you know, we can say, "Give the um, glory to God." But that's one that thing says that all the praises. Go to God. I'll be I'll be careful to give you all the praise and glory. And so, mm -hmm. but we're taking that from God if we do anything less than say thank you, Lord, 
for this message that's going to change me. I like the, what Andre said, focus on the message instead of on the person. But why are you saying too, anything? Because you enjoyed the pastor's, the message that he gave. So if you enjoyed the message, you can say, oh, the Lord really blessed you with a good message, pastor, or something like that. It's not saying, oh, pastor, you was great up there. I just love the way you uh, twirl your R's when you speak or something. But you're focusing on the message, not on well, what about the, the messenger. On God? Why if you can't just say thank you, Lord, for this great this message you gave me? Why well, not just say it to he God? He said the Holy Spirit led you. I mean, but why aren't you saying this to God? This is the praise you goes directly to God. Anyway, I think I I I see a little different from my husband, which is another thing why I don't like that married stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But what about pastor I think appreciation a lot of people days get upset about pastor appreciation day too because people go too far with that you know if you gave the pastor a, a smile and a handshake or a card that's enough but these people want you know vacation trips and stuff you know, <laughs> you know I it's think, too but, much but that's not what the she's saying we're looking at what she's saying she's saying we should not be doing any of this stuff because it you know it is a hindrance to the to the pastor. You know? Have you ever known an arrogant pastor? <laughs> yes, How Lord. Did yes, that Lord. Away? How did he get that away? Yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that and that's what she's saying that that we are setting them up. We're setting them up to fall through exaltation when we praise our pastors. Because they are simply instruments, vessels through which the Holy, that the Holy Spirit uses. It's not even them that should be taking the credit for any of the things that they do when they're in the pulpit. Even you know, I, I hear some, they, when they, get up there, they get up there and they, before they preach, they say, hide me behind the cross. Amen. You know, so they're saying right up front, it's not me. Whatever I say is coming from the Holy Spirit. And then we go, oh, Pastor, that was such a great man. Well, they, well, here's the thing. They come to the back, you know, and they stand there waiting for people to come out and shake their hand and everything. So, oh, that was a great message. Oh, you really did it today. Oh, you really laid it down today, Pastor. And so, so what did you say? Well, I'm usually not going out the back because we're putting up equipment. So <laughs> I'm not even there. <laughs> you know, sometimes... I- I don't know if this is right. I'm going to pray about this. Sometimes I'll say, thank you for allowing the Lord to use you, you know, something like that. But, um, or sometimes I'll say that sermon was for me, which is some, you know, when it is for me, you know, I'll say that that was meant for me, but why am we saying anything? That's where I'm at right now. You know, why am I saying anything and where did I get that from? And how did I become obligated to this? I think about, Mm -hmm. Something that Jesus that was was said to Jesus, and they called him good teacher. And what did he say? Don't say don't no one good. Is good. Right. There's only one that's good, and that's the Father. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't even want that praise to him. So um, I think that's a good example. Uh, one of the things I think about is the uh, parishioners giving uh, or baking cakes. And taking them over and baking dinners and, and, and doing a lot of stuff for the past. What do you think about that? I mean, it's a little variation from what we're talking I'm, about. I'm thinking to myself, if the Holy, see, I'm, I'm more for that than this corporate, you know, uh, worship, this corporate um, 
Pastor Appreciation Day where the, the church, everybody has to do this thing on this particular day. I'm okay if the Holy Spirit says to a person, and this their, it, it may be their gift, that, you know, we don't know whether if the pastor may be a little discouraged or something, you know, feeling like the, the church members don't care about him. And then someone shows up with, I was thinking about you and the Holy Spirit told me to, you know, do something special for you. You know, I don't have a problem make, with that. As long as that person- Make a vegetarian cake. You know, a vegan cake. Yeah. That's, that's possible. You know, I've had vegan cakes that taste very good. But anyway, um, what I'm thinking is that, you know, if you do stuff because God tells you to do it, not this new thing we got going on where, and I'm telling you this, me personally, if I was a pastor, I probably would discourage that. And the reason I'm saying that is because then at some point, I believe the conferences are going to start saying, well, you know, like they like waitresses and waiters, they don't get the full, their full income, you know, because it's going to be based, they're going to factor in that money that the church give them their appreciation so i wouldn't even be trying to encourage them like that i want i want to set steady salary because you know i can get that better one of the things too that uh when the pastors are being taught and trained they should teach the pastor that this is not you doing it this is the lord just like with baptisms it's not the pastor that's the holy spirit get uh leading people to baptism but sometimes pastors get this idea like like was mentioned, that they're really good and they really know how to work the crowd. And, and pastors, I've heard pastors compare what they get for Appreciation Day, and they should be taught, it's not you, it's the Lord, and you need to watch your step and just recognize that it's only through God that you're doing anything and not get caught up into that. But I think that could be a good thing for them to be taught when they come out as young ministers don't look for applause. Don't look for accolades. And, and in fact, if somebody does say something, again, point everybody to the Lord and say, praise God, God is good, something to that effect. But, you know, as humans, we like to be recognized and people like to be number one and they like to show off or whatever. But I think it would help if the young pastors were taught about that, about giving all honor and glory to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask something else too about some of the things that we do for pastors. And I think too, I think that's a really good point what Lee said because again, it's all about modeling. It's all about showing people how to live for God. And if we're wondering, you know, we say when praises go up, blessings come down. Well, if you accept the praise, you know, for, to the pastor, rather than pass that praise on to God's sister, praise the Lord for what he has done for you you know, then you are allowing them to become attached to you and not to God. And they, we really need to be attached to God. We really do. Also, I've been, I've been to, uh, I was, I know that, you know, sometime on pastor appreciation, they will say, well, we would like each family to give such and such. And I'm like, Oh, so, you know, if your family don't have it, you kind of feel bad. But, you know, I, I have known that to happen where they have said, well, each family is going to give such and such for Pastor Appreciation Day. You know what? But, okay, so I excuse myself from all of that, Patsy. That's why the mm -hmm. Bible says give yourself, return a faithful tithe, return to a faithful tithe and offering. And so at that point, I am free from all of those other things that people 
want to put out there that has nothing to do with, you know, God. So for example, me and I, when we were younger, then um, the church was into a pew day. So everybody was to buy their pew, $600 a pop. And so, you know, we did our little thing. Then we see the pastor drive up in a Porsche. Well, we're not driving a Porsche, right? And that's just something, it just don't look good, right? So at that point, that was the time I told Lee, I said, okay, no more. We do, we, we return tithe and we return offering. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if the poor fund needs something or a person might need something, that we don't help that, you know, that situation. But at the same time, you know, I don't like all that, pluck it down, make a pledge, pull it out. No, while we get those other 80% of the people to come to do their part, you know, all of their part, the time, the talent, the temple, and the treasure, and the church will go much smoother. We won't need to do all this extra stuff. So let me ask you a question. Since you said that, why do you think the other 80% is not doing their part? Is it, is it, is it a lack on the part of 20% that are doing something? Is, it a, is it a lack on the pastor's part? What what is the what do you think is the reason that the other 80% are not doing their part? Well, ultimately, it's a whole bunch of reasons, but ultimately, this is a spiritual activity. This is a um, this is you, your open proclamation, if you will, that you trust God. This is your way of saying, I believe and I have faith in you, God. You know, I, I trust you. And so we return our tithe now because we love God and we trust God. And we know that, you know, and we are obedient to God because we love him and stuff. So it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual problem that our people have and it's not being addressed. What we're saying, and I've been screaming this and I'm going to keep screaming it. What we're saying to people is that we don't care if you burn in hell. Because we know that people who still are not going to go to hell. And maybe the Bible says it clearly. You, um. Even you have robbed me, even this whole nation have robbed me. You know, wherein have we robbed you? In tithe and offering. If he's stealing directly from God, now it's one thing if we steal out my purses we discussed earlier. It's a whole nother thing where I'm gonna be in God's house, eating at his table, and then get up and steal some of the silver forks and spoons and think he's not gonna notice the serving is missing, the place serving is missing. He's gonna he notice it and it says something about your character and about your spiritual well-being when you're not returning tithe and offering and being a faithful steward in general, even taking care of your body, even you know, using our time wisely, all of it is a subject of prayer and, and, and asking God to help us because we can't do it by ourselves. But yeah, and no one mentions it. I talked to a pastor and I was like, I, want, I was all high, you know, I had high and lofty goals and I was excited. And I always, as a stewardship leader, I expect 100% participation. I'm not standing up there talking and breathing just for no reason and just for fun, but it's so that people can be saved. People have to be saved. So, you know, this person told me, God told me, uh, you're not going to get 100% participation. No one gets 100% participation. So it's just foolish to think you're going to get 100%. This was a pastor. And I said to him, you know, I don't remember during the Exodus when Pharaoh was chasing the Israelites across the water, his soldiers, when they ran out there into the Red Sea, I don't remember the Bible reporting not one of those soldiers not going. All 100% of them went into that water and all of them died. So there was 100% participation. 
Well, you know. Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 100% of the children of Israel went through on dry land. Yeah. And I'm stayed in the water. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So so you know, we can it can be done and I'm you know, I'm looking for that church to I'm looking for people to, because I really believe if we did it, the church would be so blessed. People won't be sick. This is just my thinking. People won't be sick. We will be that loving church. You know, we'll be genuine Christians and stuff. I believe that, you know, all as a result of having a faithful uh, return of tithe now for and faithful use of our time and, t- and talent temple. Yeah, because if you're faithful in that, he that's faithful in a little is faithful in much. So the blessing would carry through. One of the things we have to realize too, when we're talking about uh, not flattering the pastor, not having pastor appreciation day or being faithful in tithe and offering, everybody has heard about tithe and offering. This has been preached from the rooftop. So there's no excuse for anybody not having heard. But a lot of people haven't read what we read about the pastor and flattery or appreciation days. So we've read it. So now what we can do is share it with other people, especially when we're in board meeting or business meeting and pastor <clears throat> appreciation day comes up. Now we can say, well, it's canceled. We love the pastor. Uh, however, you know, we were reading and listening at this, you know, and, and discuss it and bring it up because a lot of people haven't ever read that. So, mm-hmm. you know, now that we know we shouldn't be silent on these subjects that we've been blessed to study, but to speak up and let other people know what that said the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because, you know, to not flatter the pastor after the sermon is very difficult to not do it. Yeah, because you don't really think of it. You're just trying to show some appreciation. Well, I think of it. It's yeah, just- I mean, mm-hmm. other, other people aren't as aware, and they just trying to give the pastor a compliment. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that that's not the right thing to do. And what's interesting is she says, never, never should we flatter the pastor. I'm like, man, that's 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 a pronouncement upon our past and the things that we have done said to the pastor or the speaker or whoever, you know. It's like well, flattery is something you don't want to do to anybody. Because flattery, you just really lying. <laughs> Well, I didn't think she was talking about that. Well, 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 you know what? But she, she said, said don't flattery praise verse. She said, but but she said don't even praise them. So so yeah, yeah, I guess you could say flattery and praise are two different things. But she said don't even praise them. So so let's let's just nip that in the bud and say we're not supposed to be praising them. Definitely not supposed to be flattering them. Um, mm-hmm. and so we have to. That's what's so good about these lessons is that it's it's revealing stuff to us that. We may not have been aware of before. And like you said, Lee, we got to tell somebody now when we come upon that situation again. Like mm-hmm. Alvina said, Pastor Appreciation Day is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but I still think that we, you know, as a people, you can, if the, you have, what we really want to do is get people hooked into Christ so that they will really hear the spirit of God and follow God's leading. God will lead them you know, to know when to give and how much to give, you know, to help and support the pastor and to alleviate, you know, some burdens. Mm-hmm. He may have financial burdens or whatever, you know, but yeah, like she said, it's not necessary for us to do all that. I, I think it's bondage personally. I think we have allowed ourselves to be bullied into this bondage, this thing called uh, anniversaries. And that's craziness to me. Why would we even agree to something like that? 
and you know, I I want to make a distinction between that praising and flattering and genuinely being helpful. Like when our pastors are moving in or our pastors are leaving, they need help with stuff, you know, help to move, help to pack, help and and and, and they haven't prepared a meal. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a meal yeah. over to them. Yeah. Uh, when I, when our pastor, when his wife left, and uh, so we knew that he wasn't, you know, there was nobody regularly fixing meals. Take a meal. There's nothing wrong with taking a meal over to the pastor. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Uh, that's mm-hmm. different. That 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 would apply to anybody. You know, somebody that needs something, you go help them. Yeah, I agree. So, and that's what I'm saying. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do it. Make a move. Let's do our best. To, that's what we. That's what we really are trying to do, is follow what God tells us to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's cover uh, a little bit of what's in paragraph four seventy nine, four seventy five point one, and then we're going to end there for today and pick up uh, in two weeks with the rest of this chapter. Uh, four seventy five point one. She's talking about um, ministers. Uh, let's see. Wait a minute. I'm going to go down to the middle of that paragraph um, that she says, uh, she's talking about rich people who give and then the, the, the pastor kind of uh, becomes a respectful person uh, to the rich person that gives. And she says, but this person gives by spasms and his purse opens spasmodically and closes just as securely spasmodically. He doesn't deserve commendation for he's in every sense of the word, a stingy man and unless thoroughly converted person all will hear the withering denunciation. Go to now you rich men weep and howl for your miseries that will come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Such will awake at last from a horrible self-deception. And so, and so basically ministers should not court rich people and, 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 and look to them when, you know, the, the building fund is short or look to them when there's a special project that needs to be done. And, and so they go to that person and ask and they, oh, and then they praise that person. So, you know, so-and-so gave, you know, and, and, and helped us get this project done or so-and-so did this and they, and you know, really came through for us because that too is 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 flattering a person that doesn't deserve flattery, praising a person that doesn't deserve praise, and that person she's saying are are horribly self deceived. They think that oh well, you know what, I'm I'm in the pastor's good graces, and so you know I'm good. I I, I give when I feel like it, and I withhold when I feel like it, and that goes back to the systematic benevolent giving. They're not doing that. They're doing it when they can receive praise from the pastor, and 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 receive recognition from the pulpit. Oh, this person did this for us, and you know they made it possible for us to 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 purchase this or buy this or do that or complete this project or whatever. And uh, so she's 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 at this point saying, Mm-mm, pastors don't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think pastors should. I think pastors should not have any favorites at all under any circumstances. Do your very best not to do that. You just, I mean, you just really don't know. You you sitting out here, you looking at all these people for on on Sabbath. They're coming to church. They're looking probably their best, or you know, do or try to spruce up a little bit. But still on the inside, people feel so worthless and so low, you know, so loathing 
And if we just continue to do what the world is doing, like this person's dressed better than the other person, or they're friendlier, and then we have the little shy people on the outside, or you know, those people on the edge of the fringes of the church that never get to move into the center circle because we're busy ministering to ourselves in there. This uh, one lady was telling me about a church and how the church family, um, you know, she joined the church and thought the church was really a good church and blah, blah, blah. And when I think about how, and then once she got into the church and stuff, it didn't seem that nice. I think about how we do that, like as a church, we tell people, oh, when folk are here, speak to the people, say, welcome the new people and blah, blah, blah. But once you come in the church, then it's none of that. Why don't we just be who we are? You know, if we don't speak, we just don't speak. It's no, it's no big deal. Why are we putting on this show? I always wonder about it. You know, let the people who are gonna go over and speak, speak. And the rest of the people you're not gonna speak, don't speak. That's just me. I know everybody, well, I went to church and nobody spoke to me. I've gone to church and nobody spoke to me. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm so happy. I got in there and I got out and I'm good. Didn't have to answer <laughs> questions. Nobody looked at me hard. You know, where do we get this from? That we have to put on this show, this act for our visitors. Where do we get it from? Anybody have any comments? And we shot when they leave the church. Hmm. That's a thought question for next time when we come back. Mm -hmm. um, where do we get that from? Lakita, write that question down and then bring it back to us at the next class session. <laughs> I'll do my best to write it down. <laughs> All right. We're going to close out for today. Um, and then, Lee, where are we next week? <clears throat> Excuse me. We're in the book Heaven by Ellen White, Chapter 10. And we're on paragraph 93.1, where it starts out. Uh, it's talking about who will be in heaven. And this subparagraph starts out, those whom the redeemed have uh, spoken to about God or those who the redeemed have told about God, 93.1. Okay. I'm writing that down so that I'll have that also. And then when we come back to this class, we will start with the next paragraph, uh, which is, which will be paragraph 475.2. All right, um, Lee, you mind closing us out with prayer? Thank you, 476.1. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Yes, I'm sorry. It is 476.1. I'm sorry. You're right. Four, paragraph 476.1 in two weeks. All right. Okay. You mind closing us out with prayer, Lee? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for an enjoyable time discussing your word and hearing your spirit's voice speaking to us. We ask and pray that we'll continue to study, dear Lord, that we might be worthy, worthy servants of God and friends to man. Bless us to share what we have learned with others who are seeking the truth of God's word. In your precious name, Jesus, amen and thank you. Amen, amen and thank amen. you.